For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. So we'll have a Dharma talk uh, with some interaction, and then we'll proceed with the rest of our morning. So I expected it to be warmer today in the Sendo. So I hope this little air circulator hasn't bothered bother you too much. That could feel a little more wind breeze, cool breeze through the window as well. So if if people can people hear me? Okay. I'll, I'll move this. How about that? Thumbs up folks. Sure. Um, so I want to just say a special thank you to everyone who came here this morning on this holiday weekend. Especially our Eno, Jerry, who takes care of the meditation hall and the functioning, and she also served as our greeter, and our techno, David Ray, who helps the cloud and the Lincoln Square Zendo form a practice, seamless practice body. He manages all of our technology, you might say. And Douglas is going to serve as work leader, Paula, who is our Dewan, and that's the person who keeps time and sounds bells. And Brian, who will be our chant leader or Kokio. Tyden is our guiding teacher. So, so many people just in this little room come together to support our practice. And of course, we all do this, it's kind of magical. How this happens. So today, I I want to focus on our experience of zazen and a particular aspect of that experience, which has to do with our eyes and our vision in shikantaza, in just sitting, which is our practice of sitting meditation. So maybe another way to that I'd like to talk about this is kind of a liberation of the senses. And Shikantaza or Zazen is our family style of sitting meditation. It's our gateway to awakening. Awakening our hearts, awakening. Our consciousness is awakening our bodies to reality. Sometimes waking up, it's a little hard to do, but we support each other in that practice. In this zazen, that is a wordless conversation amongst wholeness and our particular situation right now in this body. 
in this being. And although ultimately our practice is beyond words or wordless, this conversation called practice, there's a lot of language that may, you may have heard about how to sit Sazen. Mountains of words. Oh. Recently, a Dharma friend told me that, and maybe Douglas, you might have participated in this as well, if not others, maybe Paula. A friend of mine, another different Dharma friend, told me about a online course or online offering that was focused on Sazen from different Zen traditions. I guess Rinzai and Soto, our family style is called Soto Zen. And this friend, what struck me when I was talking to my friend was that she said, oh yeah, this online class, one of the teachers discussed what we do with our eyes in Zazen and this kind of soft, open gaze of our eyes. It's like a 45 degree angle. She said it was really helpful because this person talked about how we can move our gaze to the periphery or soften our eyes in this way. And I thought, hmm, that might be a good thing to talk about with bodhisattvas and ancient dragons and gate. Uh, so maybe we could practice a little bit with opening our eyes, our zazen vision. That's actually the opening of the Dharma eye. And maybe, maybe Tygen, you know how to pronounce these characters, but isn't opening our, our eyes, our eyeballs, isn't that another like word for awakening? Sure. There's <laughs> lots of words for awakening. Saigon? Saigon? Mm-hmm. Oh, well. We'll, we'll. Okay. We'll revisit it. Okay. Maybe during Rahatsu Sashin. Oh, good. <laughs> so, who in this room has ever received instruction on Zazen? How many times? Five? <laughs> Five million? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> every time I sit Zazen. How about online? <laughs> every time you sit Zazen. Oh, I see Caitlin. Hi, Caitlin. Um, and Nathan. So, Bryant, Howard, Eve, and Shuken. My sense is that, indeed, every time we sit Zazen, Zazen instructs us how to do Zazen. But, you know, lots of places and people have different meditation instructions. So I'll just kind of review ours. And I'd like you to to return to your Zazen posture, if you can, just for a moment as I'm speaking. You know. Um, So... This is where we embody this eye-opening. You know, many, many other forms of meditation say close your eyes or focus your eyes on, you know, some object of meditation, drishti in yogic practices. But first, in our practice, we settle ourselves in this posture, this bodily posture of zazen. So find your best zazen seat. You know, no matter how you're sitting right now, we're upright. Our ears, shoulders, and hips are in alignment. We kind of lengthen the spine a little. Place our hands in this position, right hand in our lap. Left hand over it, thumb tips touching. Close your mouth lightly. 
Some people say bring your teeth together, but try not to clench them. Breathe naturally through your nose and tuck your chin slightly with eyes open and soften your gaze downward at a 45 degree angle approximately, a few feet in front of you. So just breathe there for a minute. And be in your body. Notice where there is openness. Notice where there is tension. Notice where there is contraction or relaxation. Is there a blankness or a numbness? Can you feel your body? And then bring some awareness to your senses. And in Buddhism, you know, our sense organs, our mind, our brains are also sense organs. So notice your eye sense, your nose sense, your tongue sense, your touch sense, your mind sense. And then return to your eyes, to your vision. What's happening with that? Is it focused forward? Is it unfocused? Is it tight or loose? You can even Notice the quality of the muscles of your eyes and of your cheeks and your forehead, around your eyeballs. Just notice what is happening there. My Dharma friend reported that this teacher, you know, said maintain a soft gaze, but allow the periphery, allow your vision and your softness to extend out to the periphery, your peripheral vision, the edges of your visual field. And feel welcome to blink your eyes as needed. This is a very important instruction about the eyes. Some people might keep their eyes open and think I'm not allowed to blink. But just allow the eyes to be natural and easy. Look for the edge, the periphery, the boundary of your eye awareness. And explore without words. Where does your vision stop? And where does it begin? Where is the end of this eye awareness? What is that vision looking for, moving away from? And find the place of receptivity 
So maybe just return to the room and allow yourself to relax a bit. Maybe not be too much in Zazen. You know, one thing I notice can happen is we start to contract in Zazen. Like I want to sit upright and strong and, and that, that happens to the eyes, to the ears, to the nose, to the body. And I'm inviting freedom in our poses, in our posture, in our way of meeting the world. But I want to check in with everyone and ask, what did you notice when you started to pay attention to your vision, your eyeballs? That, that there's that there's boundaries. Mm. I mean, you know, like I I can't see the ceiling. I can't see what's in back of me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Thanks. I'm not I'm not omniscient <laughs> yet. Thanks, Eve. Anyone else? But yeah, Jerry, I noticed the tension muscles in my cheeks. So there was a little bit of like a gripping maybe around your eye sockets. Mm-hmm. Did you notice any shift in that as you went through this? I did, because when I became aware of it, you said relax your yeah. cheeks. And it's like, okay, let my cheeks relax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what happens to your eyes when your cheeks relax? They get softer. Mm-hmm. So you notice that? Hmm. Yeah. Well, well, everyone but Brian, maybe we'll go this way. Yeah, I noticed uh, in my field of vision, I noticed for the first time it's sort of circular. They're like those mm-hmm. old films, especially they used to use in silent films where there's there'd be this circular focus that would either start really small and go mm-hmm. big or it would start with a circle and then go down, but it would be a, a soft uh, perimeter. Mm-hmm. But it, I was aware of the first time of how circular that that, uh, peripheral vision is. So Uh, roundness, roundness and and expansiveness may be a vision. Jan? I think it's just characteristic of my eyes, but but, um, when my eyes are still, things move. When your eyes are still, things move. Yeah, uh, uh, the mm-hmm. patterns in the rug mm-hmm. change, and mm-hmm. it looks kind of wavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Ariel, you were yeah. as well. A mm-hmm. little bit of a waviness. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And Douglas. I I did participate in that yeah. series of classes. Julia Rushman Byler, The Abiding Abbot at Greenbelch Farm. Principles of Soto Zen series of classes. And he Major Moore, who was a Rinzai teacher of the Abbot at Kurinji Temple. He used to be a Dunning's of Jesus. Series, but they met for uh, a discussion, and it was it was interesting because there were some differences between. They know what it was saying that where our, our instruction is usually to let the gaze soften, mm-hmm. so we're not focused in on something. They would actually begin the that instruction had people older. Hands are full length and then behind the forward so we can see the fingertips, the way of softening and opening up mm-hmm. and feeling the awareness. NATO suggested that that also tends to quiet the mind. I think that may be true. But the interesting thing for me is whether exercise or just softening. Vision and softening the focus is that it re, sort of resets the uh, field of vision, the field of awareness. So it's 
So this kind of embodied presence in wholeness that the vision is supporting. Yeah. So okay. instead of me out here, it becomes <laughs> yeah, yeah embracing, <laughs> embracing and sustaining yeah. all beings. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. I I didn't watch this and really didn't ask much about it. I just was like, oh yeah. How do we work with vision and the periphery? Mm-hmm. It's a very good series. Jiryu uh, is very interested in exploring what we have in common with other Zen traditions and differences from other Zen traditions. Another conversation yesterday afternoon with a teacher in the planning school. Korean lineage of the lineage of Sun Sun. It's very interesting too. So things are coming. Differences between Korean traditions and Wednesday situations. So you know, if you read the little newsletters from San Francisco Zen Center, it's opportunities. Free program. So this is a great advertisement to for San Francisco Zen Center. Our mothership uh and also just the flowering of the dharma since we moved online during the pandemic these things are accessible to us um and jan um i used to work in a building in at northwestern it was the engineering building it's big it's almost like a mausoleum and and they had done the floor uh, in, in some sort of a composite where there were really tiny little sets. You know, the, the blocks were made of little bitty sections of different things. Mm-hmm. And um, you could sit in a chair because when you actually your vision is actually um dynamic mm-hmm. and it uh it changes from one place to another as this place uses up whatever it is it uses up then it moves to another place and and you can sit and get your focus on that floor so that exactly those little bits in the floor coincide with how your the sections of your eyes switch as as you're visioning, and the floor will sparkle because you can see the movement back and forth. It's just amazing. So this is a focus, kind of focusing on, on it, it some was, particulars, but the dynamic quality when you focus intensely. Are those terrazzo floors? Maybe, I don't know what you, know. you would call them. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but but they but you could. You could get the bits on the floor mm-hmm. to exactly coincide with the size of the things in your eyes, and you could see them move as your eyes mm-hmm. when you held your eyes still. Yeah. So in stillness, there's some kind of movement. So this is just to encourage you. You know, sometimes we can look a little severe in Soto Zen little rigid and that's just an appearance and it helps us train sometimes because it's hard to sit still but I want to encourage you to open all the gates no gates are closed in liberation in the Buddha way so this means open the gates of your conscious awareness of your senses of your body, of your mind, of your heart. No. And on this Labor Day, you can rest. 
you know, you have to have uptight zazen, contracted zazen. So you can rest in Rome freely, as Fengzhi has said, our great ancestor. In Shikantaza, with all gates open, so we hear the fan, we see the fan in some way. Uh, the cicadas, which to me felt almost at some point like they were some kind of, you know, primal song singing to us in Sazen. It's just a sensation, you know, just in my mind being free. But in this freedom, we don't fix and cling to things. So when the ground shifts, when the terrazzo sparkles, we don't hold onto it and objectify it and make it into us and them. But we do enjoy the wisdom of our senses. And free it from our ideas of it. We even free our ideas from our ideas. And this is like seeing with the whole body. Like this awakening. But Shobo Genzo is the treasury of the true Dharma eye. When we when we place that Buddha on the altar at our Irving Park, someone came, a priest came, you know, we ordered someone from San Francisco Zen Center who came and opened the eye of that statue ritually. In, in Zazen, we're ritually opening our eyes, you know, throughout the body, our eyes that respond to the world, to the suffering of the world. And even Shakyamuni Buddha had a little bit to say about this, opening the senses and being with the senses. So some monk heard about Buddha in Buddha's time, the great practitioner. He wasn't a Buddhist practitioner, but some... Uh, Spirit, woman spirit, I think, told Bahia of the bark cloth that it would be a good idea to see Buddha. And Bahia found the Buddha at first, the world to find some, find Buddha, and beg Buddha for teaching, even though Buddha's like, I'm kind of busy with my alms round. Bahia was, please give me the Dharma. So we're just like, okay, Bahia, I'll do this. Here's what I'm going to tell you to do. You should train yourself like this. Whenever you see a form, simply see. Whenever you hear a sound, simply hear. Whenever you smell an aroma, simply smell. Whenever you taste a flavor, Simply taste. Whenever you feel a sensation, simply feel. Whenever a thought arises, let it be just a thought. Then you, this separate you that Douglas, I think, was alluding to, that you will not exist. And whenever you will not exist, you will not be caught in this world, in another world or in between. And that's the end of suffering. So those are the words of Buddha from old school, old way Buddhism. But in our Zazen, in our Shikantaza, this is opening the gates, the sense gates, the heart gates, opening all gates. This is wholehearted sitting. It's free roaming in peaceful abiding. This is a way of peace. Where the end of suffering is possible. Where we can live in a way that it's possible. And where everything and anyone can enter this gate and be welcomed with openness and caring and flexibility with these qualities. You know, 
it, at first I resisted this teaching in an old sutra, probably more than one old sutra I've heard this story, but something like entire universes, including all the fishes in the ocean, can enter a single pore of Buddha, can enter the eyeball of Buddha, sitting in Zazen without harm. I was like, what? But after sitting for a little while, I've been sitting a little while, I, I think it's possible. What that means, how that is, my mind can't even begin to touch it. But all the universes with their warming oceans and burning skies, those we love, those we don't love, all the sounds, smells, and tastes, they're all opening, welcoming in this conversation with our Zazen eyes. This is opening our Buddha eyes. And this is a way of our meeting our lives with kind of the look of love. It's a gaze that connects and doesn't separate. When we go beyond the periphery, it's sometimes called the clarity within clarity. If you think of how much vision is in our Buddhist teachings. And it reminded me of a little song. I wish Asian was here. Well, there are a couple songs came to mind. I can see clearly now. But also, on a clear day, you can see forever. And I looked up the lyrics, and I was like, wow, this is interesting. All you Barbara Streisand fans, which I didn't realize she sang, actually, I'll confess, until I Googled it. But it, the lyrics go like this. On a clear day, you can see forever. On a clear day, rise and look around you, and you'll see who you are. Can you believe this was like a Broadway musical or something? On a clear day, how it will astound you that the glow of your being outshines every star. You'll feel part of every mountain, sea, and shore. You can hear from far and near a world you've never heard before. On a clear day, you can see forever. So can you sit like this? welcoming the warming oceans and the burning skies. Those we love and those we don't love into our ears and eyes and pores and nose and tongue. Of course you can. So, uh, thank you all very much and for coming out on this Labor Day weekend. Please uh, offer your Dharma, especially online, I feel like I've maybe not invited you enough into this conversation, so I apologize for that. These hands is up. I know I always have trouble finding my virtual hand. Yeah, but I don't know if you know, you know, the, that song on a clear day you can see forever. So it came from the movie that Barbara Streisand was in, where she her character under hypnosis, I think, could recall <laughs> previous reincarnations. <laughs> and um I think it was Eve Montan, the, the actor played her therapist. And um, and like in in the form he encountered the woman, like he didn't like her very much. Um, like, you know, she had anyway. And then when he met her previous incarnations, he realized there was a lot more to her. And and he ended up like falling in love with one of her previous incarnations, I think. But 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 anyhow, um, but yeah, so that, 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 sorry. That, 
Yeah, so that that song yeah reflected that 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 sense of limitless being, and that that there are you know parts of the world and parts of ourselves that in our ordinary vision we don't see. Right, we underestimate people. We and you know in our practice you could say we fall in love with everything, but. We don't hold on to it and try to control it or try to make it into something else. But that takes a little bit of practice. And I'll admit I fall short of that sometimes. But thank you, Eve, for updating me. Brian. (laughs) Yeah, as, as we go through this kind of exercise, often we're spending most of our time Paying attention to the, the through the five senses that are, that are familiar with in the, in the West and the East, they add the sixth sense of mind. Mm-hmm. And in sitting meditation, Soto style, there's, since there's no mental focus that we concentrate on, uh, you know, kind of thought. Uh, um, it's it's an opportunity for the brain, at least for me, to to bring up a lot of. Um, Involuntary thoughts, mm-hmm. and I, I wonder if you could say a word about you said just a phrase, but a little bit more about that same kind of um, soft focus that you were talking about, especially with the eyes or with hearing or whatever, around involuntary thought that's coming and coming and going. Uh, as we're also aware of mm-hmm. the breeze or whatever else, these thoughts are happening. The brain is is making up these yeah. things, and what kind of Say something about the soft focus that isn't pushing it away or trying to lock in or whatever. How does that, mm-hmm. can you describe that? I think you just described it. It doesn't push anything away and it doesn't lock into anything. But also, you, you relate to the thought as simply a thought. So that's a kind of not making it more or less than it is. But, you know, we have this remember hook or claw, you know, the claw that's like, let me, let me get into that thought and then start to make it more. That doesn't mean, you know, our thoughts stop when we're dead. Maybe. Maybe that's all that continues are these random thoughts, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but, but there's a misunderstanding that can be in Zen of like, get rid of thinking, and, you know, there's also the teaching, ordinary mind is the way. So the wisdom of our thinking, you know, it flows through us. And when a thought's important, it will come back. And maybe it's there, these thoughts are left over, but there's a way to, like, uh, free these thoughts. So liberate them from our trying to cling to them, trying to remember them, trying to control them acting out of them only you know people who have brain damage who don't who can't act out of other senses or of emotion make terrible decisions (laughs) so our thoughts need to be informed by this liberated dharma eye this liberated body but it's again the space is endless for these thoughts so when when these thoughts, like the clouds in the vast sky, have that space, we take care of them. We're open, flexible, caring. You know, but this idea, I'm a bad Zen student because I have a lot of thoughts. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Tygen's like, Tygen must have a lot of thoughts. He's written so many books. <laughs> You know, I I heard some famous author, maybe it was Peter Matheson, wrote like his entire book on his zazen cushion, right? <laughs> so are we going to judge that? So there's a good thought, right? Let me judge that because he must be a lesser practitioner than I because my I just have this open sky mind, you know. Um, I've been practicing with this image, body like a mountain. Body like a mountain, 
heart like an ocean. Heart like an ocean? Yeah, mind like space. Thank you. <laughs> Can't even remember the words to it, you know. <laughs> but but this kind of this is that how we approach thoughts. So we're out present with them. They flow. The ocean accepts everything. Look at our dear oceans here. They're accepting so much garbage, but they're working hard to deal with it still, trying to take care of our world. And then this mind that has space for everything. And still, we live in the present moment. So some thoughts need attention. We care for them like we care for everything else. But we open these gates up. So there's, there's a liberative quality. So I don't know if that helps or if that's saying enough, but I think you said it just well enough yourself. Thanks, Brian. Study the edge of thought. Study where there is no awareness of thought and where the thought goes and where the edge of the thought is. Or study might be one way. Observe. Bryant. Yay. <laughs> you can unmute. Oh, there you even appeared. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm still learning to drive Zoom um, with all of its controls. Thank you for an excellent talk and one that I think is very important for people to either learn, realize, or remind themselves of. You know, um, the Dharma tradition is is full of metaphor um and yet the deeper you get into it with both study and practice you come to realize that most if not all of the metaphor is pointing directly at an actual physical phenomenon in reality mm -hmm. and and so your talk today reminds me of of a bunch of stuff i have uh some some um research papers that were done on the connection between vision uh, and meditative experience. Um, one in particular really highlighted the fact that uh, the more you meditate, the more you become familiar with how your, how your being operates in all of its skandic diversity. Um, the more awareness you, you learn about yourself and how it interacts with the world and how it really arises from the world. Uh, you know, wisdom can come from that, you know, and in particular, um, something that I've, I've known for a long time and which I use as a, as a method, uh, on or off the cushion is just what you mentioned, the, the sharp focus versus the soft focus. And, you know, Bahia is a great reference for that. You know, when we're, engaging discursive discriminative mind what does the eye do it, it it sharply focuses on something like oh there's my to-do list and you know there's the car and what needs fixing um and so the response physiologically you notice when you're paying attention uh is a increase in stress um some would call it a good stress you know the body is gauging up for action um but when we adopt a passive attitude uh like when we're sitting on the kitchen uh, kitchen the cushion um or or even off the cushion anywhere anywhere standing in line at the bank you can you can sort of shift your attention uh to how your eyes are and and intentionally with intention soften your gaze and i've i've noticed this countless times that it it produces a shift in my physiology, a shift, I can feel my body relaxing, you know, uh, as a result of that. And, you know, it's a dependently arisen two-way street, right? So um, when I notice myself really clenched with stress, um, one of the first things I do is I soften my gaze. Uh, and then mentally, I try to soften my grip on whatever it is that I'm fixating on. You know, the, the more I've gotten into the Dharma over the years, um, in fact, that was the thing. I remember it was 2006. Um, 
having a conversation with one of the priests in another sangha that was my traditional sangha. And uh, I was practically jumping up and down with enthusiasm over my, I guess, how do I, revelations of the direct connection between our actual physiology, the, you know, the, the, the scientific um, findings that we're discovering uh, about the human body and, and its responses and, and engagement with the world and the Dharma, which is 2,500 years old, you know, and, and certainly we've seen the evidence of this, you know, the Dalai Lama and others started the mind and life Institute that actually studies meditative techniques uh, in, in the laboratory. And, you know, what are the direct connections and um, so I'll just, maybe I'll just leave it at there, but, there's so many things that, that the I metaphor uh, brings up in the history of our practice, in the history of our literature, the Diamond Sutra, you know, chapter 18, you know, there's the five eyes, the physical eye, the divine eye, the prajna eye, the dharma eye, and the Buddha eye, you know. And so even even uh, in the rich history of our of our liturgy, there's there's I references throughout. Um, and, you know, one final thing off the topic of eyes, but on ears, it was very interesting to read in the Shurangama Sutra. Um, there's a chapter where 25 bodhisattvas are, are interviewed. You know, what's your Dharma practice? And each one has a slightly different thing that they use. Uh, and then it gets to Avalokiteshvara. And he says, you know, I, I enter the Dharma through hearing which was a surprise to me. You know, I would have thought maybe the eye, but I think um, the eye is important to learn about because it can be a help or a hindrance because our training in conventional reality is that focusing and discriminating and, and discursiveness. And the eye is a tool for that, you know, sharp vision. Uh, rarely are we taught as kids, oh, you know, Loosen your focus, soften your gaze, don't look at anything specifically, you know, and, and yet what are we missing out on uh, by not having that taught to us as a potential, you know, method for dealing with life in certain circumstances? But anyway, I'll stop there. Thank you for an excellent talk. Thank you for your enthusiasm for the Dharma and your ability to read many sutras and find the eyes in them. So there's this Dharma eye. <laughs> and it is physical, but it's not limited to the physicality of the eye. But of course, you notice this in Sazen, right? Like what's Sazen like when you're doing this? You're probably thinking. But what is what is it like when you're receptive? And so this is also like that soft gaze isn't not noticing anything. It's actually noticing everything. I've often like been at Zen places where people have practiced a long time and am amazed at how people can see what's going on behind them. <laughs> and I can't say it's a superpower of the divine eye, but I think that when you start to experiment with your awareness and our physiology, there's a lot of things going on. <laughs> Let's put it that way. We have a lot of potential to actually care for the world. So part of that vision, you know, doesn't extend just in this moment, but across space and time. Like what if somebody was envisioning what it would be like, could see what it would be like if the, the impact of their behavior and their activity of their gaze in a hundred years or what it was a thousand years ago. So we have these, we have this great potential. So Brian, thank you for bringing up so many wonderful aspects of the importance of vision. And this is not limited. So anyone in our world that we encounter who appears not to, to be able to see with their physical eye, they don't need to be limited by that. Their vision in Zazen, their soft gaze is not just if they're sighted or not. It's a little easier for us maybe to grasp what it's like if we have sight. But I have no doubt that people who lack physical eyes still have vision that we're talking about. 
So on that note, though, is there any last word from the Bodhisattvas? Just to mention that commonly in, in Asian language, but also in our language, to see something is to know it, yes. to understand it. Oh, now I see. Mm -hmm. Now I see, yeah. To know it in an intimate way. Beyond ideas. Beyond ideas, yes. Sir, anything else? Jan, you have one more thing. Okay. In the movie Avatar, the, uh -huh. they would say, I see you. Um, but um, I look out my kitchen window and I see Lake Michigan. And um, uh, and I've lived there for 35 years now. And during that time, a tree has grown up and has obscured my view of the lake. And um, I was hoping that Derecho would take it out or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, but I had a, uh, but I saw a, a photograph called Sunset at the River by Lightfoot. And it was such a beautiful photograph, all filtered light. And from that moment on, I loved having that tree mm -hmm. because it filters the mm -hmm. light and it's a completely different way of looking at the light. Mm -hmm. So the tree, you had an awakening moment mm -hmm. with intimacy with the tree. You no longer wanted to kill it. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted the, the wretched to kill it. I don't yeah, so this is our way of peace, and it mm -hmm. unfolds. Jen has like a Buddhist Peace Fellowship shirt on, I think. <laughs> so, so this is how this unfolds in concrete ways and in ways that our pores can accept entire universes and fishes of all oceans without harm.